You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. I want to bring back something. It was a month ago today. We had Rick Stroud on of the Tampa Bay Times. And towards the end of the interview, I just had a throwaway question. Because nobody had talked about this. And I thought, you know what? Let me ask this question to Rick Stroud, who covers the Buccaneers. It's assumed that he's Brady is back next year in Tampa, correct? Uh, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's under contract, right? He, he did this thing, but he can get out of it. It's, there's not like a, a ton of cap you know, penalties if he doesn't play. Um, two things will decide it. And, and one is, how does he feel health-wise? And he said, unless he suffers some injury, um, he thinks he can play till he's 50. The biggest thing is just his family. You know, what, and Giselle says every year, have you had enough? And, but the reality is, is that he's got three kids now that are of the age where they're doing things, um, you know, outside of the, of the home, and, and they have sacrificed a lot for him. But I can't see him playing more than one more year, Dan. I think 45, for whatever reason, seems to be a weird number that's stuck in his head. Um, does he walk away if they win? And, 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 but he could win three in a row, and no one's done that. Um, does, if they get to the championship and he thinks they can win again next year, does he, it's, hard to, it's hard to really fathom. But, like, I know this about the greatest players in sport, they seem to be the ones that don't know when to leave the party, yeah. right? Like the vacuum cleaners are going, the lights are on. They're still there, man. They're still at the bar. So I, I don't know what, what Tom Brady will do, but I, I think he'll be back next year. Super Week on the Dan Patrick Show brought to you by M-Drive. Don't let age beat you. Get M-Drive. Let's bring in Peter King, Football Morning in America, columnist, contributor to NBC Sports. If I would have told you a month ago Tom Brady was retiring, what would you have said, Pete? I'm surprised because I didn't see this until the drum beat started. I didn't see it coming. I thought he was going to keep playing. I think he has managed to uh, basically bifurcate his two lives, and he's done it very, very well. But I do think, Dan, it was me in, I think, when Tom Brady was 34, maybe 33, who he told, I want to play till I'm 45. And uh, I remember it very, very clearly because I, I walked away from him that day thinking, uh, I think he's crazy. I just don't think. And really, part of his legacy is that he's made it possible in a game where the conditions for quarterbacks are monumentally easier than they were two generations ago. Uh, he's also made it very possible for people to think, I can play until I'm in my mid-40s because you're just not getting beaten up. You just have to dedicate your whole life to doing it, how you eat, how you drink, what you don't drink, what you don't eat, and and how you train. Um but I do think it's easy to say something at 34 and then at 44, your life is different. Did you ever think that you would say, you know what, I'm going to turn down this contract from ESPN to be the biggest person in the worldwide leader of sports. I'm not going to do this anymore. You're out of your, you, you know, eight years earlier, that Dan Patrick would have said, are you out of your mind? Yeah. And so you just, life changes, and his life has changed. And there's one other thing, Dan. Don't you also think that at some point, not that you get tired of doing this, but you say, really, what more can I do? Seven Super Bowls, great. I just, 
had one of my greatest years at age 44. Could I do this? Yes. Do I want to do this? I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, and the standard is so high that the bottom line is winning Super Bowls. And, you know, for Tom, it's either Super Bowl or bust. Whereas other people in all walks of life, you know, we don't have that, hey, if I don't win a sports Emmy uh, or I've won enough, then I can retire. Tom always wanted to be about winning Super Bowls. I was also curious with you being a Hall of Fame voter, how many Hall of Fame careers does Tom Brady have? I saw that his career was separated into three seven-year windows and that, you know, he could have made the Hall of Fame for it any or all of those seven year windows. I don't know. I think clearly uh, you could have cut his career in half and both of those careers would have been hall of fame careers because one would have had three super bowl titles and the other one would have had four. And, And, you know, so obviously I think both of those, he could have made it, but you know, it's a fun exercise, but it's not really reality. I talked to a former TV exec last night, and I said, what would Tom Brady, what, what would it cost to bring him in as an analyst? Amazon, if they want to bring him in on Thursday night. I, and I don't know if Brady wants to do this, but um, can you see Brady having anything to do with the game when he's, you know, now that he's done? Could he be an analyst, in your opinion? Or would he want to be? I mean, personally... I have no idea what he's going to do. Have not talked to him, nothing, since this announcement. It would surprise me if he would want to do that, Dan. And the biggest reason is that, you know, it's like I had a conversation with Sean Payton last week about this. Sean Payton really wants to put his, you know, dip his toe into the TV waters. And I said, you know, the best ones kind of piss people off. You know, sometimes they're, you know, they're not afraid to say anything. And he goes, oh, I know, I know. And, and look, I'm not saying Brady could do whatever he wanted to do if he put his mind to it. But does Tom Brady want to go on TV and say, what a dumb throw by Matthew Stafford? Or, or I, and I don't, there's different ways to be critical mm-hmm. of people too. But I think Tom Brady wants to be excellent at whatever he does. And he's proving that with sort of his forays into like religion of sport with Gotham Chopra uh, and, and to some of these clothing stuff that he's getting into now. He wants to be big time. He wants to be the best. To devote yourself to be good at TV. I know that everybody is gonna listen to that and think, oh, that's a pile of crap. Ask football players who go into TV about how hard TV is, not just how hard being on TV, how hard it is to be great being on TV, because there aren't many of those. That's Jason Witten. How about Brady and Gronk doing their version of the Manning cast? (laughs) If the Mannings buy the Broncos or part of the ownership there, now I got my Brady cast with with him and Gronk. Problem Uh, solved. It'd probably be hilarious, but I have a feeling there would be more drinking on that uh, on that cast. I'm all in. 
I'm, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I'm all There'd in. There'd be more drinking than there is on the Manning <laughs> cast. Although I'm not sure what there is in those tumblers that they're using on the Manning cast. <laughs> He's Peter King, uh, his column, Football Morning in America, joining us on the program. Uh, let's get to Brian Flores with he had his opening statements. Teams have responded. Elway responded. The Giants responded. Stephen Ross responded. What's next? Well, did you ever think that John Elway, the New York Giants, or Stephen Ross would say, yep, he's right, we did all those things. Of course they're going to deny it. And maybe they're all correct. I, I, we don't know. We don't know anything. I think what's next is going to be a long period of, A, uh, the lawyers for Brian Flores trying to get more um, black coaching, minority coaching candidates involved in this suit because it would just strengthen their case. But, you know, as Mike Florio points out, we were on TV a couple of times this week, Dan, um, as he points out, the NFL is going to do everything humanly possible to make sure that this case will stay as it is mandated in Brian Flory's coaching contract with the Miami Dolphins. And that says that if you have any, uh, uh, any any uh, dispute with a team, with management, with anybody, it is going to be adjudicated uh, in arbitration. And Roger Goodell is the ultimate arbiter and can either appoint who's going to hear the case or whatever. So the NFL does not like airing its dirty laundry. Ask the people of St. Louis. They wanted their pound of flesh and instead got $790 million. But you know, their own, the NFL owners never had to appear in court to address, you know, the uh, the complaints that St. Louis had. And so I think the NFL will try every way that is possible to make sure that this never, uh, that nobody ever has to be, uh, you know, nobody ever has to appear in court um, or that Bill Belichick doesn't have to go under the hot lights of a deposition. And so I think that is what is next, sort of jousting to see what the venue for this is. Well, the commissioner does his State of the Union address at the Super Bowl. Is he going to still do that, do you think? And does he take questions? I'm sure he'll do it. And I believe he will take questions. And he'll get, ans- he'll get asked a lot of questions about the Flurry suit, about the Washington football team and uh, the renewed charges against Dan Snyder, it still absolutely boggles my mind that, you know, as one of the attorneys in the case said yesterday, why is it that there's a 200 page report on some possibly, possibly deflated footballs and there's zero page (laughs) report on uh, the Washington football team? And it's a great, great question. Um, So he's going to get questions on all that stuff assuming and i'm assuming i mean he answered questions last year i'm assuming he's going to answer questions this year and i wonder does the commissioner ask for stephen ross's cell phone um i i mean obviously he should or or you know he should listen roger goodell needs to uh for the good of the game and Uh, for the good of the integrity of the game. He needs to investigate this absolutely thoroughly. And the way you do this is with an independent investigator. 
Um, that's how you investigate the Stephen Ross story. Because any other way, if it's headed by Jeff Pash, you know, you're never, you're never going to really feel good about the results of it. So in my opinion, I think that that has to be, that's the only way that Roger Goodell can uh, answer questions, you know, with impunity about what actually, what did really happen in Miami. I just saw this. Jim Harbaugh has told the Detroit Free Press, Mitch Album, he is done chasing NFL jobs. I mean, we'll see what happens. Tom Brady said, I'm playing till I'm 45. I mean, we'll see what happens, Dan. Um, when you say you're done chasing NFL jobs, you know, what if Mark Murphy and the Green Bay Packers come to him in two <laughs> years and say, we'll give you X, Y, and Z to come coach our team? Was he chasing that job? No. And look, I don't really know Jim Harbaugh, so I can't tell you what that is. But, Dan, when a guy returns after a national signing day, uh, spending a day with an NFL team. And then when he comes back to his other team and he says, Hey, I'm back, everybody. <laughs> what, what is everybody supposed to be supposed to believe that he'll never look at another NFL job? I doubt it. I mean, you know, and for him to tell anybody that I'm done chasing it, well, maybe he is. That doesn't mean the, the real statement will be, I will never coach in the NFL again. That's the real statement. Or I, I'm I'm not going to be a candidate for any more NFL jobs, you know. Write it in stone, and otherwise, that really doesn't mean very much to me. If the MVP vote was taken after the Super Bowl, the whole season, who would win? Well, you got to tell me who wins the Super Bowl. It, if let's the Bengals say win. If, if the Bengals win, would Joe Burrow be the MVP? If you if you base it on the entire season, I vote for Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean. My final three was Aaron Rodgers, who I voted for, Tom Brady, and Joe Burrow. Okay. And obviously, if you include the playoffs, I'd vote Burrow because how in the world can the Cincinnati Bengals, this 54-year-old franchise, you know, that everybody thought at the beginning of the year was in the bottom 10. Everybody thought at the beginning of the year was in the bottom 10. And then they win the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow playing lights out in many of those games. It's got to be Burrow. How important is winning the Super Bowl for L.A. to establish a fan base? I think it would really help them. Um, having said that, Dan, I was at the NFC Championship game, and I thought what happened there was really good for football. Honestly, I'm sure that there were some Rams executives who were doing the Rodney Dangerfield, oh, oh, what's going on here? And they're, and they're unhappy with it. But that place was as loud a football stadium for both sides. It was a weird, weird crowd because the decibel level was at 105 when the 49ers had the ball, and it was at 105 or 110 when the Rams had the ball. It was fantastic. It was almost like a European soccer crowd in some ways. It just never stopped hmm. the whole day. I thought it was great. And look, everybody has said that, oh, the Rams and the Chargers, they need to establish their own fan base. I guess that that's true. But really, what's wrong with 20,000 fans of pick a team, 
the Green Bay Packers or the, the Chicago Bears or, or whoever coming in and play and, and coming into your stadium and providing a loud uh, antidote or, or whatever to the other side. There's nothing wrong in that with that. We've, we've got it in our heads that that's faulty, that that's wrong. But why is it? Why can't there be fans from both teams? Wouldn't, you know, if, if you're the Minnesota Vikings and you've got a game in L.A. against the Rams or Chargers in December, I mean, why wouldn't you want all of the fans, you know, 20,000 people from Minneapolis, St. Paul and the whole area to come in? Isn't that good for business? Yeah. Isn't it good for the economy in L.A.? Pete, great stuff as always and uh, safe travels to L.A. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Dan. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Peter Schrager, NFL Network Good Morning Football co-host. And uh, good morning, football, live from L.A. for Super Bowl week, starting on Monday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Peter, how would you recap the week for somebody who didn't, let's say somebody was out of the country, didn't know what happened, and you said, hey, what happened in the NFL? How would you recap it? So the biggest long shot in NFL history to make the Super Bowl, made the Super Bowl on a Sunday. Tom Brady retired on a Tuesday, and before he could even get his bouquets, uh, one of the NFL coaches sued the NFL and two NFL football teams over uh, systematic racism and hiring practices, and that was just the start of the week. And now we've had further that we've had some different coaching hires. We've had some other controversies. It is the NFL we're living in right now, and I don't think any of it should uh, – should 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 be be mentioned without saying that hey the Flores thing should be number one number two number three and yet the way the NFL works it's like all right the Super Bowl's on uh, next week and I don't know if it's still going to be top of mind because that's how fast the news cycle works. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Adam Schefter tweeted the Niners offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel arrived in South Florida last night for his head coaching interview with the Dolphins. Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore scheduled for his head coaching interview with the Dolphins on Saturday. How attractive is that Dolphins job right now? Yeah, I could tell you that that I know from Mike's case, he definitely wants the job. It's a chance to be an NFL head coach. And, uh, you know, that's the point. It's a lot of these guys, uh, they still want these jobs because how do I know I'm ever going to get another opportunity to get in there? So if you're a Mike McDaniel or a Kellen Moore, and yes, you are walking into a situation where the, the last coach and the owner and the GM um, obviously had conflict and there's an ongoing lawsuit and all those things. But, hey, here's Mike McDaniel. He's been in the league since 2005. He's a 40-year-old guy. He's, he's been waiting his time, too, and he's like, I, I want to go for it. This is my job opportunity, and I would love to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. So he didn't withdraw his name from that. I can tell you that that interview is 1245 today is when he's going to be interviewing with the Dolphins. They are going to also interview Kellen Moore, so the decision won't be made today. But those are the two names I'm hearing right now, and, no, neither one of them are people of color. It's Mike McDaniel, boy wonder offensive coach, and it's – Kellen Moore, who's even younger offensive coach. And, you know, I know the optics aren't great for the NFL, but that is what has been the case 
going right up from Minnesota where it's Harbaugh or Kevin O'Connell to Jacksonville where it seemed like at the last second it was either Doug Peterson or Rich Bisaccia. So uh, we've got a couple teams left, Texans and Saints. We'll see if if their hires do satisfy um, what I think is a great, great need for you know African-American and people of color to be head coaches in the NFL. I was wondering, Doug Peterson got the Jacksonville job. Do we know if Byron Leftwich was offered the job? Do not know that. Yeah. Do not know that. Don't, don't know if it got to that point. I know that they were very interested in Nathaniel Hackett, and he chose the Denver job, and that kind of made them restart their whole thing. What's interesting with that one is it breaks last night. <clears throat> either Adam Schefter, Ian Rapport, one of the insiders breaks it, and it happens – around 10 o'clock Eastern, and all right, everyone does their whole thing. Here's what Peterson is. Who didn't they hire? They fired Urban Meyer in week 14 of the NFL season. They interviewed Doug Peterson on December 28th. They were radio silent. They did not reach out to Doug Peterson. He didn't have a second interview until February 4th. I don't know what happened in those 40 days in between, but I don't remember a coaching uh, hire ever as drawn out and go with so many twists and turns than what the Jaguars did. The first candidate to interview in week 16 of the NFL season or week you know, right after the NFL season was Doug Peterson. Um, and then wow. they interviewed about 20 guys in between and then eventually hired Doug Peterson. Bizarre. But if you look at the, the, uh, the openings here in the offseason, the worst opening was where? I know everybody wants to be a head coach, but the worst opening is which team? Or was uh, which team? There was nine openings. A lot of those teams fire head coaches because of the situations that they're in. Um, see, the worst might also be with the greatest potential to build. And I think the team in the most questionable situation right now is the Houston Texans because they don't have that quarterback that they necessarily thought would be the quarterback. Now, is Davis Mills that guy? I don't know. He had a nice finish of the season. Um, but they are so raw and so barren as far as just talent on the roster and then with no real direction of what they're going to be. New GM and Nick Casario, new president and Jack Easterby, and there's a hope that they make the right hire and they can build something there. We want to talk about an uphill battle going into Houston right now without any real thing to hang your hat on. It's certainly something that is from the ground zero of building an NFL team. Talking to Peter Schrager, NFL Network, Good Morning Football co-host and FoxSports.com, senior national writer. The show will be in Los Angeles next week starting uh, at 7 a.m. Eastern. I talked to a former TV executive last night, and I said, if you were still involved in this, would you offer Tom Brady a job as an analyst? And he said, if I'm Amazon, I just I put it out there that we'll give you $25 million a year and see if Tom would want to be an analyst, you know, let's say with uh, Al Michaels. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know if money is what motivated this guy ever, though. That's the problem. Yeah. It's like I, you can dangle a lot of money in front of Tom Brady. It's never been what has been his, his main motivation. And you can say that he's made enough himself. His wife's made enough in her career. Like, I, I think the Manning situation truly makes the future of all these broadcasters interesting. Like, you know, Drew Brees did the playoff game and got you know, blasted everywhere because they thought that he wasn't interesting enough, and he had to you know check his phone and just say this guy's terrible. Jason Witten, same thing. Meanwhile, the Mannings are sitting on their couch and they're interviewing their friends and doing it on their terms. And I think Tom Brady's one of the few athletes that could say, eh, I actually want to do it X Y Z way, and I don't want to do it going on the road and being in Cincinnati to call a Raiders Bengals game where I can be criticized by Joe Schmo on the on the couch for how good I am at calling the 
some. Well, I suggested that you get Gronk and Brady, and you could have your own, you know, Brady cast here. That's not bad. I, I think that's interesting, and it's on Brady's terms. As long as Brady can dictate where and how it's done, because I don't think I see Tom Brady wanting to call Week 13, you know, uh, Broncos Chargers in Denver because he's got, you know, Romo missed the day after Thanksgiving this year. I think he missed that Sunday, and people went nuts. Like, he's making how much money? How could he miss a game? <laughs> guys, these guys, they, they do have a lot of power in these buildings, and I think Brady would have the ultimate power if he were to choose to work with one of these networks. I got Tony Dungy next hour, and I want to ask him, how do we fix the Rooney rule or update the Rooney? Like, what, if it's not a tweak, or is it an overhaul, and what suggestions would he have? Because the Rooney rule came out when Tony got fired, and I think, um, trying to think who else. There, there were two black coaches who got fired at the same time. And I think that's when we had the Rooney rule that, that came about. What do you think Tony would suggest on how to modify this? And we had Chris Carter on Good Morning Football today. Very, very vocal in in the situation that the NFL head coaching um, world is in right now. And you know, I said, well, they've tried to do like financial incentives with draft picks and all that. And I think the problem is way, way, way more in the weeds than just, hey, can we meet with these guys? I think it starts with with – preparing young African-American assistants to be NFL head coaches. So it's not enough to just have a, a African-American defensive quarter. It's saying, okay, let's, let's get you every possible thing that you need so that you could walk in that room and you don't feel like you're up against it. And you don't feel like you're walking into a sham interview that you can wow them. And you could also just say, Hey, look at the tape and check my references. I shouldn't have to razzle and dazzle and, and do something any differently mm. than any of the counterparts who I'm interviewing with. I look at, there are so many gorgeous, Great young assistant coaches in the league right now, and so few of them got opportunities to interview for those head coaching jobs. And I think that's the issue. It's not just getting someone in the room. It's it's saying, hey, let's recognize these young assistants and let's groom them so that they're getting the hype and buzz that Kellen Moore's getting at age 30, that they're getting the hype and buzz that Sean McVay got at age 30. You know, you can name the young assistant coach that you. Like I look at Sean McVay's assistant head coach, and he's a running backs coach right now in in in, in Los Angeles. I've gotten to know Thomas Brown. Really really well. This guy is a former Georgia Bulldogs running back, beloved by the players, uh, is, is a huge asset to Sean McVay, and yet he was mentioned for the Miami Dolphins head coaching job briefly. How come he didn't get to interview for nine jobs? Where you know, Jonathan Gannon, who is going to be considered for all these jobs, is defensive coordinator of an Eagles team that lost in the wild card round. I just think it's not enough to just say, hey, we're going to give you, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z an opportunity to interview. I think it really starts at a young age, 28. 29, 30, identifying people who aren't just assistant coaches but want to be head coaches and saying, let's not only prepare them for that, but let's prepare the rest of the league and give them opportunities to have the same networking that some of the white young assistant coaches have had. Yeah, that's well put. If you had one question for the commissioner next week, what would the question be? One question for the commissioner. My question would probably revolve around what was brought to light here. And it's the same question you just asked me, same question you brought to Tony Dungy. Clearly the Rooney rule is not merely enough. What else can we do? And how else can we actually do that with action and not just words? And I would love to think that there are answers there and that there is not only the commissioner, 
but every single person who is employed by the NFL and working with the NFL who is noticing what's going on in this hiring cycle and says, hey, here's my input, here are my two cents, and that's a collaborative effort in the decisions that are made moving forward. Dennis Green was the other coach who was fired, I think, the same time, 2002, when Tony Mm -hmm. was fired, and then they brought about the Rooney rule. How would you uh, sum up Joe Burrow's month? <laughs> Coolest kid in the world. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? This is almost, I, I love the fact that his high school stadium's already named after him. Like it's like it's like everyone who knows the guy knows the guy. All the LSU people love him. I went to the game last week, Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs Bengals, and obviously it was all Chiefs fans, but there were pockets of Bengals fans, and the amount of LSU Burrow fans we saw, and I would go to them, are you an LSU fan? Are you a Bengals fan? I'm a Joe Burrow fan. I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. This guy's the man, and I, I don't know. I don't know if they've got it, what it takes to go in as a team with one player with Super Bowl experience and beat the Rams in their building, yeah. but I don't know if there's another quarterback in the league I'd want to have the ball going into that situation than Joe Burrow right now. Yeah, and I, I, I asked Peter King last hour, I said, you got an MVP vote. If we were taking the vote after the Super Bowl and the Bengals won, he said Joe Burrow would be the MVP. Maybe it's him, even if they lose. The fact that you get the Bengal, he gave hope to every franchise, or he put every franchise on notice. Like, hey, this guy got his team to the Super Bowl. He got sacked nine times in a win against the Raiders. Like, uh Pretty amazing, uh, you know, this meteoric rise from, you know, national championship, Heisman Trophy, second year going to the Super Bowl. Heady stuff, man. It really is. And the stuff that he did last week that isn't going to be glorified until maybe we do all the film work and the offseason, like all those third downs where Chris Jones had him and he just slides away and he scrambles away. It's like so symbolic of this team because they were down 24 points to the Chargers. They came all the way back. They lost. They were down two touchdowns to the 49ers. They came all the way back. They lost. They were back in that game with the Packers that they lost. Even their losses, it was like he was a cockroach. Like you could not put Joe Burrow down. He found a way to claw back and everything and now it's just clicking. I couldn't give any more. And I, I said on Good Morning Football today, everyone and their mother has a podcast now. Everyone <laughs> and their mother thinks, you know, I work for a gambling site. I do this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this analytics page. Like, literally, there are 8 billion people doing sports media and 9 million talking heads who just dilute us. No one took the Bengals before this season. Not a soul. I think that's pretty cool. You're an Ohio guy. you got to appreciate that. Oh, I do. Uh, but I, I, I'm not rooting as much as those fans deserve this those you know my i'm actually rooting for my friends and family because whenever you would say you were from cincinnati inevitably you would get the following oh the bungles always always so to get there to be proud you got your quarterback you got your wide receiver you got a good running back i go back to september where we thought their head coach may get fired like you know, yeah. that's how crazy this season's been. Um, I'll leave you with this, or if you can leave me with this, the cool spots for us to go in Los Angeles. I mean, you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the list. Here you go. Okay. Number one is number one is Craig's. It's the old Mater D from yep. Dantana's. He's got a spot now. This is where I saw on TMZ that Kanye and uh, someone else was there, so that must be cool. I'm told Delilah is the hot club. Guys like us will, will mm. not be allowed in necessarily, <laughs> but that is where people go. And the last one is a little place that my guy Walker Hayes sings so beautifully about. It's a little restaurant called Applebee's, and that is where I will probably be most <laughs> nights, getting my chicken fingers or mozzarella sticks. Uh, does Walker Hayes know that he ruined CBS's halftime show? I thought 
I thought just the opposite. I thought that those guys were talking over Walker Hayes, and I found that obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, what do I need to hear? I need to hear Nate Burleson saying that you know, they need to establish the run. Give me the Walker Hayes. What is Boomer Esiason saying in that segment that I need to hear that yeah, I haven't heard a million exactly. times? Give me the, give me the Applebee's song. <laughs> oh, that's great. Peter, thank you, and uh, hopefully it. we'll cross paths with you in L.A. I would love to see you guys. You got the best show still, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Network reporting that Eric Bieniemy will get an interview with the New Orleans Saints. Not sure if Byron Leftwich gets an opportunity there. I don't know if Brian Flores is still in the mix, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts going on. Is Brian Flores in the mix with the Texans? Certainly sounds like that. I was surprised that Josh McCown is getting that much interest from the Texans because he has no head coaching experience whatsoever. He knows a lot of people, and he was. With a lot of teams, Doug Peterson got the job with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I don't know if uh, Byron Leftwich took his name out when he knew he wasn't going to get the job. I know that he wanted to have a different GM in place, which is certainly understandable. Dolphins, Saints, Texans are coachless right now. The Vikings, I guess, are going to hire Kevin O'Connell, the uh, Rams offensive coordinator. Tony Dungy, kind enough to join us, Hall of Fame coach and uh Won some Super Bowls as a player with the Steelers, as a head coach with the Colts. And the Rooney Rule was created uh, back in 2002. That was a reaction to when Tony got fired with the Buccaneers. Dennis Green of the Minnesota Vikings also got fired as well. And Tony joins us. We'll get to that topic in a moment here, Tony. I'm curious how much of an advantage it'll be for Sean McVay having already coached in a Super Bowl. Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, and... Sean said after their Super Bowl loss to New England, he did some things wrong. He overthought things in those two weeks. He, if he went back, he would do things a little differently. And I know he's learned from that. Uh, I was in Cincinnati on Wednesday interviewing Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor was on that staff. He was at that game. He, he did it too. So he wasn't the head coach, but he was there and he was watching everything Sean did. He saw the, the schedule. He, uh, had the benefit of being there also. So I think it's going to be minimal advantage. You have two guys that kind of went through it at the same time in 2019. And also coaches have talked about you. If you go in with a game plan, you have to be ready to adjust your game plan because you, it, your game plan really is dictated by what happens in the game itself. Yeah. Like you can't just say, this is what we're doing. Or we're going to yeah. continue to do that. Right. You fall into that trap. No, you can't. 
But I will tell you this, and Sean's right, that two weeks can get to you. You're used to planning and taking a week and go, and now you've got an extra week and you start to second guess yourself. <laughs> I know I've told you the story. We went a whole week saying we're not going to let Devin Hester touch the ball. And then the second week, I start thinking about it here at chapel service. The guy talks about David and Goliath, and he said, you can't be scared of the giant. <laughs> and at the last minute, I changed my mind and said, you know what, guys, Saturday night before the game, I hope we lose the toss. We're going to kick off the Devin Hester. When we pound him, we're going to send a message. They're going to know we mean business. If we'd only had a week, Devin Hester would have never touched the ball. <laughs> Wait, are you blaming the, the preacher? Who's the chaplain. I am. The... I blamed him. He takes total responsibility for it. And then you know what he told me afterwards, Dan? He said, no, no, you got the wrong message from that. It wasn't that David wasn't afraid. You got to know the weak spot. He hit Goliath right between the eyes. You got to go for the weak spot. That's why I wish you'd have told me that Saturday night. Yeah. I think this is the anniversary. I think 15 years I, ago. I think it is. Yeah, 15 years ago tonight. What did you yeah. feel like after winning a Super Bowl? You know, I, I won one as a player, and, and it was a real thrill, and it was great to be part of it. But when you're uh, the head coach, and you win the game and you get up on that podium and you're looking down and you see not only your players, but your staff down there and their families. And then you look up in the stands and you see your fans and they're holding up signs. And then you go back to the parade in your city and you realize that this is bigger than just a team accomplishment. You felt, I felt like, man, you know, the city of Indianapolis, the state of Indiana, the Ursays, everybody, our whole organization, you just feel really, really proud. And then, of course, my year, it was even a little bit more special. Lovey Smith and I and African-American coaches for 40 years, uh, first time anybody had been in that game. Uh, and then you get notes. I got a telegram. I mentioned to you in the past, got a telegram from Bill Russell saying, congratulations, welcome to the club. And uh, wow. you, you, can't put, you can't put words to that. But how much pressure are you carrying in, in a situation? Even though it was Lovey Smith, so two African-American coaches, but did, was there extra pressure of being African-American head coach in a Super Bowl? I think there would have been had Lovey not been on okay. the other side. There would have been, you know, we, we knew at that point, hey, history is going to be made. Somebody's going to win it. And, you know, we're going to be able to say, you know, these African-American coaches can coach on the same level. But had I been in there by myself, I think I would have felt a little bit more, hey, we've got to win this just to show people we can do this. I was wondering about coaches who don't call plays. Are you aware of what the plays are? Are you listening? Oh, to absolutely. Okay. And you have the final say on everything. You know, Tom Moore would call our offensive plays, and I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, no, Tom, I want to run, or I want to get the ball to Marvin Harrison in this situation. Ron Meeks was calling my defensive calls. Hey, no, I, I want to blitz. I want to put pressure on him. 90% of the time, you're on the same page. And you've been in the meetings and you know what the game plan is for these situations. But there are times when, you know, you you just impose your will. Hey, I want to do this. We're ahead by eight points. Tom, we're going to run the ball three times and kick a field goal. I know you don't want to do that, but that's what we're going to do. But you've got to do this in a, in a small window, though, Tony, because you're, you know, so you're going to have a play getting ready to be called into Peyton. And then you're there listening, and then you could say, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to run that. So Peyton's waiting for the call to come yeah. in. Yeah, 
No, and good coach, you're thinking ahead. Uh, it's not in the moment. You wait until the moment. I'm talking to Tom before the play runs. Hey, if we oh, do okay. this, we won't want to think about that. Yeah, you, you're involved. And Did um, Peyton again, overrule not, you? How, how often would Peyton go, no? Well, well, he always had the final say. And because we're going to send, Tom would send in three plays. Hey, run left, run right, or throw. And, you know, he had that choice. Of course, he sees something different. He's going to audible to it. That was the beauty of our system. We got the plays in so fast with the no huddle that he's got 20, 25 seconds at the line to run what he wants. But we, we all know. We, we kind of know the game plan. We're talking to Tony Dungy, the Hall of Fame uh, coach. When you're defensive coach, defensive-minded, former defensive back, what would you do to uh, Joe Burrow or try to get him to do or not do? I think all of these guys, uh, they're so talented right now. The weaponry is so good. You have to make them make a lot of throws. You, you can't, uh, kind of like people were playing Kansas City, you can't give up the two-play touchdown drive, the 80-yard touchdown pass. So you've got to make them make a lot of throws. And then you've got to get pressure. To me, that is going to be the whole key with this game. The, the offensive line of the Bengals, they played well against Kansas City. They struggled against Tennessee. This is the best defensive line they're going to see. How, how are they going to handle Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller, and create protection? If they give Burrow time, they're, they're going to pick this secondary part. As good as those players are, as good as Jalen Ramsey is, they can't cover those guys if Burrow has time. I still go back to what Cincinnati did to Kansas City in the second half. And for the life of me, I can't understand why you don't run the ball. Like if, they, if they're going to play seven defensive backs and have a spy on Mahomes, why don't I just take some clock away, run the football? Well, Kansas City doesn't like to run, <laughs> and, and everybody knows that. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to. The other thing that I thought Kansas City didn't do, if you think back to that first half, very few long passes, get the ball out quick, guys are open, hit them, take the seven-yard game. In the second half, Patrick wasn't doing that. And I don't think it was because the guys were covered. It's because, okay, I'm a little bored with that six-yard gain and that seven-yard gain. Let me see if I can get one. Now that and the game tightened up a little bit, and I need a big play. And uh, he passed up a lot of open guys in the second half. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think ego got in the way. I, I, I really do. It's funny you mention it, though, because when we had the Chiefs on earlier – and Rodney, as you know, Rodney Harrison now is at the stadium, so he's doing a lot of the interviews and stuff. And I said, ask Andy Reid this for me. This is one question I'd like to ask if I was there. You've got Mahomes, you've got all these receivers, and you love to throw. Is it hard for you to call a running play because you want to see Patrick <laughs> Mahomes with the ball in his hand? Yeah. Because you have chances to run, and Andy's always been a pass-first guy. Uh, all the way back to Philadelphia, but I think it's getting harder and harder for those guys to call runs. Your initial reaction to the Brian Flores lawsuit was what? You know, um, I have not read the lawsuit yet. It's 58 pages. I want to read the whole thing. My initial reaction was frustration. And Brian Flores is, was, is saying, I believe, he is saying what a lot of people are talking about casually in conversation. He just brought it. He's frustrated with the, the system right now. And I'm going to have a lot more to say on this next week. But uh, I think right now the NFL has a problem because you've got African-American employees, especially coaches, who are frustrated with, with the system right now. 
if Brian Flores had called you before filing that lawsuit, what would you have told him? Um, probably um, make sure you know what you're doing and this is what you want to do and this is how you want to bring it to light. It's interesting. John, you mentioned 2002. Uh, Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary had a meeting with the NFL and they said, hey, we've got some issues here. We've got African-American coaches being fired with winning records, being fired in the playoffs. We've got limited access to African-American coaches getting into the system. Uh, these guys are upset. This was 20 years ago. And he said, we need to sit down at the table and you need to listen to them because the next step is going to be litigation. And I remember Johnny Cochran saying this very, very loudly. NFL, you do not want litigation. And uh, the Fritz Pollard Alliance came into effect. We had some things going. The Rooney Rule gets put in place. Diversity committees, those type of things. So uh, I think Johnny Cochran kind of predicted that this might might happen one day. Chris Carter was on uh, Good Morning Football and NFL Network today. And he said... He was asked about, what do we do? How do we make this better? And I'm paraphrasing, but it was, let's groom these coaches, these assistant coaches, these minority coaches on how, what to expect in the interviews, prepare them better. And I don't know if, if you can just sort of wave a wand like that and go, we're going to prepare Eric Bieniemy to be a head coach. I, I don't know if you can do that, yeah. but I did, you know, I was interested with what Chris Carter had to say. I, I, I can appreciate that. My personal opinion is the problem is not on the supply side. The problem is on the demand <laughs> side. And there, there's one, and I, there, I have one, I'm going to be on a soapbox about this until they change it. I think the process is flawed for everybody. And that's why we have a lot of bad decisions made and we have a lot of one year, two year hires. And it really hurts minority candidates. And, I, and I'll tell you why. We are interviewing these coaches during the playoffs. And I think that's terribly wrong. It's terribly unfair. And you, you, you cannot tell me that I can prepare to play the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm trying to stop them as a defensive coordinator, and then I can take a timeout on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock and interview with you, Dan, and you're asking me questions about your organization and your team, and you want me to be specific about how I'm going to make your team better, and then after that interview, go back to my thoughts on the Chiefs. And hmm. no one can be as prepared in that situation as the person who's not in the playoffs. I was in the playoffs in Minnesota three years, interviewed a couple of times, didn't get the jobs. The year, one year we didn't make it. I had three interviews with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was able to be very specific about what I wanted to do. I ended up getting that job. I don't think it was a coincidence. Um, when people say so-and-so came in and blew me away in the interview, well, I could blow you away too if I had a week to look at your roster and look at your – past drafts and look at uh, how I would do it and set things up and make a PowerPoint presentation. And now you're Eric Bien and these African-American coaches who are, who's getting the interviews. You tell me, Eric Bienemy, Leslie Frazier, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles. Th these aren't coaches who aren't in the playoffs because if you're African-American and you're not in the playoffs, you're probably not getting an interview. Have you talked to the commissioner? So, have you conveyed this to the commissioner? I, I've, I've said this for five years. Mm -hmm. I think this is wrong. I think uh, interviewing coaches in the middle of the playoffs, it's detrimental to them 
and it's detrimental to the team because you don't get a good impression of, of, of someone that can't be prepared as prepared as someone who has had a week and a half to do nothing but prepare for your interview. Yeah, I can't, you know, everybody keeps saying Eric Bieniemy deserves a job. You know, I'm all, I'm all for that. It feels like we're missing something here, Tony. Why does Eric Bieniemy not have a head coaching job? I know he's reportedly going to interview with the Saints. I thought he was going to get the Vikings job. So what's this year three of Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a head coaching job? Why is that? Um, I, I don't know why, but all I can do is go back to my situation. And I heard a lot of the same things in the 90s. Well, Tony Dungy's very smart. He's a good coach. He's been in some good systems. He's worked for Chuck Noll. He's worked for Marty Schottenheimer. He's worked for Denny Green. But he, his personality, he doesn't come across well in the interviews. He's not an a overly aggressive guy. He's not this. He's not that. He doesn't interview well. No. That's what I heard about myself 30 years ago or, or 25 years ago. And um, I, I don't know. You know, it, it's that I wasn't exactly what people were looking for. I, I'll give you a perfect example. I interviewed with an organization, thought it was going really well. The last question the guy asked me, he said, I, I understand you don't use profanity. You don't raise your voice much. How are you going to motivate my guys? And I said, I'll do it the way I always have and the way my dad did it with me. I'm going to show them that I care about them, that I know what I'm doing, that I love them, and I think I'll get that mutual respect, and they'll be motivated. That's what I've done with my defenses over the years. Guy looked across at me, Dan, said, that won't work in the NFL. That's not what I'm looking for. Well, and then the word came out that I didn't interview well. The next year, I go to Tampa. They asked me kind of the similar question. I answered the same way Mr. Glazer said, that's how I talk to my boys. That, that's who I want as my head coach. So I think that's what Eric Benjamin needs, somebody that just says you are the, the kind of guy I'm looking for. Did you send a picture of your Super Bowl ring to that guy who said that your style won't work in the NFL? We actually played against them quite often uh, in, in, in the upcoming years, and he actually told me at an owner's meeting, I, I was wrong. <laughs> oh. What was his name again, Tony? I can't go into that. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. Do you do you ever run into Tom Brady in Tampa since you live there? Like at the supermarket? Seen, uh, not at the supermarket or any of those places. I've seen Tom a couple times, and uh, Clyde Christensen, who was uh, on my staff, is the quarterback coach there. So he he puts us in touch with each other uh, periodically. And Tom is he's been amazing down here. He's he's turned the Turn the city around and, and the Bucks fans around. They really have. Safe travels to Los Angeles. Always great. My best to uh, the family. Thank Always great to talk to you. Thank you, brother. I miss you. You know that. 